0: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 78. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Kringle Raygun. Chris, thank (laughs) you so much for joining me today. I've always hated that name for Santa Claus. Yeah, it's Kringle. Kringle. Yeah, it's not good. I had
2: this dream a long time ago Mm. of like this demon and his name was Crinkle Claus and he would come out of the drain and crinkle people and go back into the drain. Crinkle like uh, like wrapping paper. Yeah. Yeah. You would, would, yeah. would like crinkle people just a little bit. Oh, <laughs> and leave them permanently
1: crinkled. It sounds like a B era or a B tier horror movie. Oh, it's like a Z tier Z tier horror movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. Z tier horror movie. Well, happy holidays to everyone. This episode is going live for patrons on Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas to all of you and to the freeloaders that are getting this after Christmas, we hope you had a happy holiday. Or if you're in the midst of Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever it is, that you might celebrate. I'm not so sure. Did we talk about Kwanzaa last year? I'm not so sure I understand fully when Kwanzaa takes place. I think it's kind of like a Hanukkah thing where it's multiple days. Yeah, I but think, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I think I have no I have no clue. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know that I've ever known anyone that's really celebrated it. Like, I remember learning about it in school because I went to a pretty diverse school Racially, and so we learned about a lot of these different things. But I don't remember everyone or anyone ever celebrating. But I remember there being sort of like a menorah-like device, let's say, that they light candles in as well. The various Kwanzaa celebrators, and also Happy uh, Festivus for (laughs) everyone out there. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Chris, this is a little unusual for us this year, this week, rather, because we already recorded episode seventy-nine. Again, this is episode seventy-eight. The show continues unabated. This holiday season for all of you pagans and atheists and everyone else out there that doesn't really care about this time here. We recorded episode 79, so everything goes up as in order. Next episode of the regular show is the Game of the Year episode where we talk about our favorite games and your favorite games and go through all of that. So that's a lot of fun. Sacred Symbols Plus, which is exclusive to Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We have thousands of people over there supporting us. Thank you. Last week's was the best moments of 2019. This week's we've already recorded as well. Our 2020 predictions. So we're all set and yeah. good to go and uh, very exciting uh, times for us because we get a couple of weeks off, basically, as long as uh, Dustin. Well, Dustin doesn't get a couple of weeks off. So <laughs> but we get a couple of weeks off. So we appreciate that very much. Yeah. But you're we, we discussed this on Sacred Symbols Plus, I think. But you're hanging around for Christmas in California and then you are going to New York for the New Year, as I recall. Is yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. New Year's is more of a tradition than Christmas, I think, in my family. I see. I see. Well, that'll be fun. I'm flying out on a red eye Christmas Eve into Christmas. It's gonna be fine, I think. I'm not really too worried about it. And uh, this is the last episode of any podcast I'll ever be recording from California, at least as a resident, which is kind of strange because my entire podcast career, going back to like 2007 or 2008, it all started in California. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a somber day, yeah, from that respect as well. But exciting as well. It's time for me to move on with my life and start the next chapter. In Virginia, maybe it'll be a nice long chapter. Maybe it'll be a novella and be very <laughs> short. I don't really know what's going to happen yet. Are novellas
2: short? I thought they were like notoriously long. No, novellas are st- short
1: novels. Uh,
2: yeah, I guess that makes sense.
1: I'm thinking of like telenovelas, which go on for decades Years. upon decades. Right, exactly. I'm looking I'm looking it up here just to be sure. Novella. Wikipedia says a novella is a work of narrative prose fiction longer than a short story, but shorter than a novel. So there you go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything at all. Uh, Let's see here. What's in my notes here? Oh, leave us nice reviews. We haven't said this in a while, but uh, if you're listening on free feeds, if you are a freeloader, one of the tens of thousands of people that listen to us on podcast services or on YouTube, uh, we appreciate you. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes and stuff. It really helps us out. And of course, you can go buy merch and learn all about our Patreon support. And your ability to get the show three days early, ad free, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas and access to Sacred Symbols Plus by just going to CollinsLastStand.com. And Chris, I got to say once again, thanks to everyone for supporting Twin Breaker, our upcoming Vita and PS4 game that's going to come out, I think, probably in March. We'll f- We'll figure that out soon. Yeah, I think in the new year. Barry, the developer, has some things he wants to add to it. I need to finish the story. So we have a few things that we need to do. But the reaction's been pretty great.
2: Yeah. So thanks to everyone it's really for that. Cool.
1: Yeah. Very exciting for all of us. And let's see what else here. Oh, before we get into all of the random questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, the audience submitted, including a couple of corrections, if I might. Just wanted to let everyone know that new PS4 firmware is out. It's 7.02. You need to download it. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, do so. So it doesn't interrupt you like it interrupted me when I was trying to watch the tutors the other day. Showtime's the tutors. It was a. It proved to be a massive disruption to my plans, and by massive, I mean it took like three minutes for me to download it and restart my PS4. You don't seem like you. Do you have a lot of energy today? Or I just w- don't w- know what the hell you just. Tutors? Showtime's the tutors? Yeah, you never watched the tutor. You don't know anything about the tutors? I barely know anything about Showtime, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Well, the tutors was a show, historical fiction or historical drama. It was on for four seasons on Showtime from 2007 to 2010. And it stars Jonathan Reese Myers as King Henry VIII. And it's about the Tudor dynasty and his various wives and all of this. is very good. Very oh, good well. show. Very uh, sexual, if I might say. A little too sexual. We've talked about this in my with games where I don't feel like I need to see too much. It really does get a little out of control with that. But I will say Natalie Dormer plays Anne Boleyn in this. Natalie Dormer, of course, became later much more famous from her time on Game of Thrones. But she is just so gorgeous in this show where you can see that a Henry VIII would fall for a woman like Anne Boleyn if they all looked like this, which they probably didn't. Yeah, they definitely probably didn't. (laughs) In fact, like Jonathan Rhys-Myers is like really ruggedly handsome, skinny, built guy. And Henry VIII was supposed to be like a fat fuck. Yeah, no, I think I think most kings were pretty obese. Yeah, I mean, I would be. I mean, I'm pretty obese and I'm not a king. So <laughs> who, who knows what would happen if I was one? Now, Chris, let's get into some of these corrections. One for you, one for me. We'll start with me. Justin Bryant wrote into us on Patreon. He says, hey, CNC, I would like to offer a correction For saying that Persona 5 Strikers was the Arc System Works fighting game, it's most likely the Masseau-style action game that is being developed by Atlas's Persona Studio and Koei Tecmo's Omega Force team. The name is being shortened in the West from Persona 5 Scramble, the Phantom Strikers, to just Persona 5 Strikers. Thanks and keep up the great work. Justin's absolutely right. I assumed in seeing this name without really looking at it that it was a continuation of Persona 4 Arena, which was a Persona 4 developed... er, themed fighting game from arc system works that was on ps3 this isn't the case uh, justin's right this is actually an omega force muso and it comes out in japan on february 20th no release date yet i looked that up for those that are curious and it's funny that this was all brought up omega force and koei tecmo we'll talk about them in just a little while because i happen to be playing a muso right now for no reason in particular oh good uh josiah wrote into us chris now this one's for you he says hey guys just a quick correction that you may find useful: you can turn the music off to your PS4 themes. Just go to Settings, Sound and Screen, and then uncheck the box for System Music. I also hate noisy menus, so it was a great day when I figured that out. Enjoy the peace and quiet. Now I knew that you could do this, but I didn't know that you could do this if you had like other a theme other than the standard theme. But apparently, yeah. this is possible. I, so. mean, I,
2: I figured that you would be able to if you could do it for the base menu. I figured Mm. you'd be able to do it for custom themes, but it also seems like something that I could see Sony just forgetting to put in because you can't even shut the light off on your controller. So why would I assume? (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Easy enough. Yeah. You know, that's good. I'm glad. So system music. Okay. Yeah. You go to system or you go to settings and then sound and screen and then uncheck the and check the why can I speak and then uncheck the box system music I swear to God I've tried this but like maybe I maybe I got I, I guess I just haven't yeah I mean I've done this I, I could have told you this except for I just didn't know that you like if you have a theme with music on it what's the point of shutting the music off so I didn't think that, oh you know
2: what it was I just assumed mm, that it would be in the theme menu mm, no like why would you choosing, assume that like
1: you know yeah why would, would you, you know, assume like... that yeah I don't know there's no there's no reason to assume that the theme settings would be under theme <laughs> in the settings menu All right, Chris, let's get into some of this more weird shit that the audience likes to write into us about. Paul Sabo wrote in and said, hey, guys, simple question. If you woke up one morning without the ability to sneeze, how long do you think it would take you to notice? It's a great question. Oh, my God. It's a bit of a mind melter, isn't it? Probably weeks. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I theoretically think I can go. I mean, if I—I I don't know. I, I you could, if you weren't around anyone that sneezed and you weren't con- cognizant of that, you could potentially go years. You would assume without really knowing.
2: Nah, you that a year would go by, like one year would go by, and you'd probably be like, I haven't sneezed at all this year.
1: Yeah, sneezing feels good sometimes. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like. I don't like sneezing in public. I always sneeze into my shirt or like, and I, I kind of keep it in, so it feels like my lungs are going to explode. You know that. The oh, yeah. feeling when you don't want to let the sneeze out. I feel like one day it's just gonna burst out of my chest like an alien, <laughs> this powerful sneeze that I'm holding in. But that's interesting. I never I never considered that. It's a lot more sophisticated than the sandwich questions that you sons of bitch write into us about usually. So thank you, Paul, for making us think a little bit on this stupid show. Chris Barnes wrote into us and said, hey, Colin, Chris. In response to la in the response, I'm sorry, to last week's listener asking why Dick is short for Richard. We still don't know why, by the way. And no one wrote in. And I'm, I appreciate that no one wrote in because we don't want to know. <laughs> he says, I'll do you one better. Why in the blue hell is Peggy short for Margaret? What? Peggy short for Margaret. This is true. I don't what? really, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I... I, I... I'm done. I'm done with this. All right. Fair enough. Let's move on. (laughs) I can't. I actually didn't know that. It's I knew that only because I love Mad Men and one of the main characters in it is Peggy. And I remember encountering that at some point that her full name was Margaret. But I don't know. I remember joking around with friends in college at Northeastern that Peggy was short for Pegasus, which was really (laughs) funny to us when we were stoned, but probably really isn't that funny at all. Actually, (laughs) come to think of it. So stupid. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't like that. That's that's something that
2: really reframes my entire, you know, cognizance. That's uh that's like that that story that I sent you the other day about the bone marrow. Oh yeah, that was uh so for those of you who don't know, I sent I sent him a I sent him a news story and this is true, this is factually accurate, where Hmm. a guy got a um a bone marrow transplant and it turns out that all of his DNA is now currently the donor's DNA. So his semen is 100 percent. The donor's DNA His blood is like a large percentage. The other man's do uh, the other donor's DNA. It's really creepy,
1: really horrifying. Yeah, I don't like that. Kind of like eldritch. That. It is. Um, it's certainly eldritch. It's not out of the ocean, which is usually where eldritch things come from. But yeah. things that are also just biologically unsettling can also be eldritch. And that's definitely that's definitely one of those things. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like the idea that a dick and a Peggy can get married and cause also massive confusion with names. (laughs) What do you do there? All right. John Apocalypse wrote a noise. We haven't heard from him in a while. He says, Dear Airhead Colin and Tootsie Roll Chris, this is a good question, too. Does soda taste better to you when you get it from a soda machine rather than a can or a bottle? I feel that way every time I drink Pepsi Max at Subway or Costco. Now. He's referring to fountain soda. Now, a lot of people do swear by syrup-driven fountain soda. I don't, but it does taste distinctly different than a Coke in a bottle or a can. How do you feel about all that, Chris? I I do know that
2: what the what type of receptacle the thing is in will drastically affect the taste of it. I do know that. I don't I can't speak to soda because I'm not a soda person. I'm not a soda drinker. I've never been. I don't think I've ever liked it. I think when I was a kid, I was like, why is this just fizz? Right. Where's the taste? I understand that. Right. Okay. So I just always went to like, I don't know, like lemonade or like iced teas or like literally anything else that uh, tasted better. But in regards to those things, I know that they taste vastly different if
1: they're in like a bottle or a can or in a fountain. It's interesting. Like um, I like Coca-Cola. I I typically have one if I'm eating like a burger or something like that and. I even noticed as a kid, having moved around a lot and lived in different places, that depending on this, the origin of the Coke, like the factory it comes from, it also tastes a little different. Yeah. So you can you can really go down the rabbit hole with this. But I think I prefer a can of Coke above everything else. I just love a can of Coke.
2: A can is, if you can't get a glass bottle, a can is probably the best option.
1: So So you like Mexican Coke. We've probably had this conversation before, but you like the sugar Coke.
2: Not even necessarily. I just like glass.
1: Glass oh, well, okay. is like the
2: most glass taints your drink the least. That's probably because, true because plastic yeah. has a taste uh, tin in the metal cans. They have a taste plastic uh, plastic in like cardboard or whatever the hell like whatever the hell's in it like a you ever get boxed drinks. Yeah, like a fruit like a like a, a drink box like that, yeah, you would yeah, drink like it, at that has a taste and like yeah. uh, the fountains have a taste but glass as far as I can tell doesn't really have a taste.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, because we still drink sometimes, depending on where you get it from, like Snapple comes in a glass sometimes. Yeah, so, well, that's very interesting to think about. I guess I never really considered that, although I probably should just stop drinking these sugary drinks entirely. I did get my, by the way, I went to the doctor last week and I got my, my results back. We were talking a little bit about them on a previous show. I don't know where we were talking about them, but I'll have you all know that I, I I wanted to go just to see if I was pushing it into diabetes land at all <laughs> and even into pre-diabetes land. Now, I don't have any diabetes in my family, which is really apparently incredibly relevant to if you're going to get diabetes. And also, I didn't know this that white people are some of the least likely to get diabetes as well. So I was oh, reading really? about all this stuff. Yeah, like black people and Hispanic people, I think, are most, predisposed to it ah, so well, I'm, i got a lot i got a lot of good things working for me here but yeah. i went into the doctor and i got my blood test and i'm like totally fine it's i not that i eat or that bad or like that bad but i don't eat that good you would think that maybe i'd be pushing it into some because i'm a little pregnant looking so i was like well <laughs> am i gonna be am i gonna have the diabetes or the diabetes and so far so good we're okay there also i have uh, high cholesterol according to the doctor
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: Okay, let's see. Matthew Rodoloso wrote in. Said, hey, CNC Podcast Factory. First time, long time. Now this, Chris, we're going to have to talk... Seriously about something here. He says, now that Chris has professed his love for Alison Bree in his latest YouTube video, even asking her to marry him, <laughs> will YouTube be competing for her attention? What would each of you do to win such a competition fight to the death? If you both end up dead, I'll be glad to take care of her in your place. Now, I had no idea, Chris, that you have an affection for Alison Bree, who I also <laughs> have an affection for. I mean, I, this, this doesn't surprise me. Who doesn't? Oh, she's so lovely. And now... I will say in 2015, she did tweet at me and that was a real yeah, I tweeted. We, we talked about like, we did a video, a kind of funny or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was about like your, your celebrity crush and mine was about Alison And So we just tweeted it at her and she apparently, because she answered it, she apparently watched the video because she was commenting on what was being said in it. And (laughs) she tweeted at me and it was like one of the most amazing moments of my life. I'll cherish it forever <laughs> did you frame the <laughs> you should frame the tweet no i should i i've no i've been known to frame other tweets so i should frame uh that tweet as well but i don't know that we have to quarrel uh no because Alison she's, she's Br- married
2: to uh, D- uh james franco's uh, brother
1: who's very forgettable
2: yeah isn't that a shame that is a real shame at least at least at least marry james you know
1: yeah yeah and i i feel like i wouldn't be that upset if you ended up with Allison Bree because at least one of my friends that i care about and you know and i know will take good care of Allison. Would be with her, you know, because I know I'll take I'll treat Allison like a princess. <laughs> Allison will never have to want for anything in her in her life. So as long as she ends up with someone like that, I'll be OK. I just want her to be happy. And finally, Nick <laughs> wrote into us and said, hey, crazy, Colin and caddy, Chris, I'm just wondering it is season it is a seasonal question. He says, I'm just wondering what was your favorite gaming related Christmas gift you got as a child? Mine was a Game Boy Color. My mom surprised me with it in my stocking and I never asked for one. She just knew I loved playing the Game Boy and got it for me. Thanks, guys, and Merry Christmas. Chris, do you have any notable Christmas gifts that were video game related that you want to bring up here? These, uh,
2: these are always confusing because my birthday is so close to Christmas. That's true. So when I like, think back, I can't remember what exactly is a Christmas gift and what's a birthday gift. But I do specifically remember getting a Game Boy Advance SP, which was the, the one with the LED and the one that folded in like a laptop.
1: Yeah, the clamshell
2: one. I yeah, love that. Yeah, the, uh, the blacklight, I think, not LED. And uh, that was probably one of the best memories I think I've ever had, honestly. Because that thing was just... That thing felt high-tech at the time.
1: It did. It was the first one that you can charge without batteries. Yeah. Which was and a I big just, deal. Like a phone. Yeah.
2: And I remember being like, this is insane. Everybody's going to be... Everybody's going to be blown away when I show up with this thing. So cool. And I got... And I remember I got Super Mario... Super Mario World
1: with it. And I played well, the a, ever-loving shit That's out a good of it. one. Oh, why wouldn't you? I, I remember getting... So Clamshell came out in 2003, as I recall, and I got it. It came out with Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, if I recall correctly, or around that time. And so I got the red one and then Pokemon Ruby and yeah, really enjoyed it. I remember you're absolutely right. It was so sophisticated because for our younger listeners or our newer gamers, I'm sure you guys know this, but maybe not intrinsically. We used to have to go through AA A batteries like they were going out of style. To be yeah. able to play video games, including Game Boy Advance, but certainly Game Boy Pocket, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy itself, and so that was what I remember it be- being so novel about it. And I- what I remember being novel about it too is that those lithium batteries, those early like phone style lithium batteries, were for some reason really fucked up. If you like half charged them the first time and then started using it, it would like save. Do you remember this? It would like save that charge level, yeah, and like, never go above that. And I remember specifically that the Game Boy SP, as I recall, came with a notice saying, like, make sure you charge this thing all the way before you use it. And that was the nature of cell phones and stuff back in the day. We don't worry about that anymore. But I, I actually do like like older people like my parents still worry about that.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I,
1: I'm worried about the bat. I'm like, it doesn't work like that anymore. You have to worry about it.
2: You <laughs> old fucks. My mom will do the same thing. She'll be like, you got to charge it all the way. <laughs> no. no,
1: fucking old people, boomers. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. I'm really eager to talk to you about what you're playing here. It says that you're playing The Witcher 3. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I got back into it because the show came out and I just felt like, okay, I'm like a little bit more invested in this show than I or in this universe, I guess, than I probably ever have been. Now's probably the best time to jump back into it. And uh, also, I, I learned that one of my biggest gripes with that game or like two of my biggest gripes with that game are just settings in the menu that you can just turn off.
1: Did you know this? What what were the what were the the things you added?
2: So with? there, the way Geralt moves in The Witcher Three is really kind of physics based. It's very I, I don't know what really they were going for, really, but it's kind of tedious to control. It's 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 a little bit I don't know. It's all it's all it's all over the place. Like he turns really slowly, and his horse is a mess, and like he jumps super high, and it feels like he's gliding across the floor sometimes. He's just, like, really weird to control, and apparently there's, like, an alternative movement mode that makes it, like, far more precise. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know about this. And whenever you used your Witcher Witcher senses, the screen would go into this weird fisheye distortion, and it it used to just give me headaches. Like, I couldn't stand using it. And that's also just a setting that you can turn off. Cool. That's excellent. So I turned both of those off, and I've actually been really enjoying it. Uh, probably for the first, I've gotten further than I ever have, I think, and I think I'll probably stick with it. It's really cool, man. I don't know if I really like playing it so much as I like, like, the story that's happening, and just, like, the lore and how deep the world building is, but, uh, I'm enjoying my time with it, like, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, what I remember, I haven't played it since, what, it came out 2015, I think that was when I played it, but... And I, I didn't beat it again about 40 hours, 50 hours with it. So I was pretty deep into it. I liked it. But what I remember really enjoying about it, but what was also the deficit was just how deep and it's just so thick and rife with lore and people and quests. And that's really cool. I mean, it, it was probably the most living, breathing world up to that point I'd ever seen, actually, and probably only surpassed by games like Red Dead since then. So they really did make something special, and it's cool. I I think they've been supporting the game with patches for so long, too, that some of that stuff might not have even really been available when you first played it. Yeah, yeah, probably. Who the hell knows? But we'll talk a little bit more about The Witcher, well, CD Projekt, but I guess this question we were going to read later on is more useful to read now, just to keep it all in sequence. Timothy Bryant wrote in and said, Hey, Musical Moriarty and Malleable Maldonado. Was wondering if either of you fine gents have any plans to watch The Witcher series that recently released on Netflix. The show is getting terrible reviews online, saying it's a second-rate Game of Thrones or Mandalorian. And it's also just dull and dour. I didn't get through much of the game like yourself, Colin, but I thought the world was cool, so I'm planning on checking it out. Just wanted to know if y'all were interested in it as well. Keep up the great work and keep making all of my my days great again. Well, Well, we're glad to be there for you. Now, Chris, you brought this up. Now, I have no intention of watching this show, not because... I'm trying to make fun of it or be, you know, Colin about it. But just there's just a million other things I need to watch. It's just that would be so low. Yeah. On my list. But you have been checking it out. You said so. I mean, what do you think of this? I I didn't see it. I saw it get some bad reviews, but I thought the reviews were a little more mixed
2: than yeah. bad. It's uh, I liked it. I don't know. I uh, I enjoyed it. I thought my only problem with it was that there's they do this weird time skipping thing where like there are two stories. There's like an A story and a B story, but they're both happening like decades apart from each other and they both share the same characters sometimes so like it's not really until like really late in the season that you even understand when everything is happening that's like the biggest problem with it but i i i enjoyed my time with it i don't know if it's i think it's just saying it's a second rate game of thrones is a little weird because the source material is probably i think what probably older
1: I think so, I or think, at least as old, because I think Game of Thrones started in 94. So I think that the, with like the fi- whatever it's called, uh, Fire and Ice, or whatever the fuck. But I think that they're similar. And, and The Witcher is a Polish book series that's yeah. much more obscure. So yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely not for everybody, but uh, I enjoyed it. How long is it? Do you know? I think there's only like eight episodes. Yeah, that's not and, too bad. That's bad. Uh, the episodes are typically like 50 to 50 to an hour
1: oh okay that's what i like the most about those netflix shows and amazon shows and hulu and stuff is they i noticed one of the shows that i really love which is handmaid's tale on hulu i noticed that they really vary the length of the show it's always about an hour but like they'll they'll the show will be as long as it needs to be or to tell the story which i love as opposed to network tv cable mess with that a little bit like hbo would do that a little bit but it's pretty neat and yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll check that out. Well, I'll check. Uh, maybe I'll check it out and add it to the list. But there's just so much other stuff like just myriad shows that I would rather oh, watch yeah. than The Witcher, to be honest. Chris, I've been playing. Now, this is a random one for me because I'm not an, a Musso fan or an Omega Force fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a Dragon Quest fan. And back in 2015, I was given by Square Enix Dragon Quest Heroes, The World, The World Trees, Woe and the Blight Below, which is a Dragon Quest Muso. And if you're unfamiliar out there with what a Musou is, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's M-U-S-O-U, and it's a genre that's specifically made by one developer called Omega Force, which is owned by Koei Tecmo. And they're basically just these... It goes back to the mid-90s with Samurai Warriors and Dynasty Warriors and all this random shit. But it's just basically a game where you run around a map and beat the shit out of enemies. It's very button mashy. It's really fan service-y. There are series from Omega Force for like Zelda and all these other things. So anyway, they did one for Dragon Quest and I played it a little bit. I liked it, but I just moved on. And then after playing some of the games I was playing recently, I was like, I just want to play something light and not too sophisticated and not too deep because I'm moving and who knows what I'm so I to. So I, I went through my list and I'm like, oh, Dragon Quest Heroes. So I started playing it again. I played it for about 10 hours over the last couple of days and I really enjoy it. I mean, it's not like great. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're a Dragon Quest fan like I am, there's just a lot of fan service in it. A lot of characters, a lot of monsters, and it's easy enough to wrap your head around and it's just very linear in the sense of like you're building your party up, you're buying new items and accessories and weapons and getting stronger. I dig it. And I know that there's a sequel from 2017 called Dragon Quest Heroes 2 that I'm probably going to play next because I'm just really into this and I'm really feeling in a Dragon Quest mood right now. I might segue right into Dragon Quest Eleven maybe after this. So that's what I've been messing around with Dragon Quest Heroes, The World's Trees, Whoa, and the Blight Below, which is an unnecessary name for the game, but that is what it's called. Bit much. Guitar Raven twenty eight wrote into us, Chris, before we get into the news. He says, Hey Colin and Chris. Just wanted to know when Colin is gonna grow balls. Whoa. Whoa. And play Shovel Knight, King of Cards. It's too good to wait for trophies, pussy. Whoa. <laughs> so the King of Cards free update came to Shovel Knight two weeks ago. It's available on everything. It's even available on Vita, uh, PS4, PS3, and obviously other consoles that we don't really discuss on the show. I'm waiting for the trophies. Now, here's the problem, Chris. If you release a free game update, which all of these things are for Shovel Knight, you're only allowed or allocated a certain amount of trophies. Like You can do, like I think, two or three trophies. And so they're releasing King of Cards in a physical format next year, which will have a full trophy list. And that's when I will play it. So... Yes, I am waiting. And if you want to just call me if you want to say I need to grow some balls, I have no balls, then that's fine. Yeah, if that's what you feel. That's fine. Thank you, Guitar Raven, for your uplifting <laughs> message. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's get into the news. There's not too much of super interest or import here, but some things we should probably clear off the the uh, docket before the year turns over. Number one. Sony has introduced a peculiar new attachment for the DualShock 4 controller, the so-called back button attachment. The PlayStation blog describes the peripheral peripheral as such, quote, Today we're excited to introduce the DualShock 4 back button attachment to gamers of all skill levels who enjoy playing competitively. This new attachment elevates your gameplay by delivering more versatility and performance while maintaining the comfort and feel of the DualShock 4 wireless controller you've come to love, end quote. Basically, this attachment clips to the bottom of a DualShock 4 through the controller's bottom port and adds two back buttons that can be mapped as other buttons on the controller. This is an especially key option for players of various competitive games. Sleekly, an OLED display shows the two button settings and Sony stresses in its press release that it was made by them and not a third party as they customarily endorse peripherals, which they don't seem all that interested in making anymore themselves. The back button attachment comes out on January 23rd and will cost $29.99 or your local equivalent. Peter Sismigu wrote into us and said, Hey, CM Squared, with Sony announcing the weird attachment for the PS4 controller named the back button attachment, do you think this gives us a hint towards the look of the PS5 controller? And why did they make this especially so late in the generation? Who the hell is it for? If you are a pro gamer on PS4, you already have a Razer Raiju or a Nacon Revolution. Thank you for all the hours of entertainment, guys. Thank you for your question, Peter. Hey, Chris, what did you think about this attachment? This was a weird one.
2: Yeah. Um, The timing of it seems a bit weird, too. I feel like I don't really see the point. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there's a case we've made like, oh, you know, if you're already like pro, you probably already have this high end controller or whatever the hell. But like, I don't know, maybe it's for people getting into it who maybe don't have that much, I guess. But I. I. I just don't get the point of. It's so ugly, <laughs> and it's, yeah, so, it's it's really it's ugly. So big, and it's like, it's only two buttons. So that's like two other face buttons that you still have to hit, kind of nullifying it. In the because the whole point of like having the four back pedals on something like the the Xbox Elite controller is because those back buttons now, you know, those are the face buttons or whatever buttons you choose to put there. But typically, those are face buttons. So that you don't have to take your thumb off the stick to hit the face buttons. Right. But with only two buttons on the back, it's like, I don't don't know what the I don't know what the real point
1: is. Yeah, this you know, I think Peter might have some interesting insight here that we know the PS5, the DualShock 5 controller is a little bulkier. We've seen kind of like shadowy silhouette images of it from patents and whatnot, And it could be that that extra Xbox Duke like bulk that is being added to the controller seemingly could be these two buttons and that they're trying to now rectify and make the same the DualShock 4 and DualShock 5 for forwards and backwards compatibility. That could be one option, which I think. But I agree with you on the timing, not only because DualShock 4 is so old at this point, the DualShock 4 came out in 2013 along with the PS4, but that they announced it like right before Christmas. It just seems like they don't even care about this thing as usual, and it is really weird that they are stressing they made it themselves, which is important because I think that the other thing that they might be trying to aim for is that some people, I'm one of these people, by the way, I don't want a third-party peripheral. I don't want a third-party headphone set. I don't want a third-party controller. Back in the day, third-party memory cards were really faulty and burned a lot of people on PS1 and PS2. I want Sony-made stuff, and this might be something that they're trying to direct towards people like me, but... It just I just reiterate just make a pro controller. Just make a pro controller. And you don't have to make these weird attachments for the DualShock 4. It's very strange. Very weird indeed. But we'll see what happens. That OLED screen's kind of neat. It seems a little unnecessary. It's like a little extra. Yeah, it seems
2: pretty I don't know. Uh, they could have just kept the price down and not have yeah. that in there. That's true. It, Cuz it's not even facing you, so it's like a little I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a designer, but like I
1: wouldn't I wouldn't have made that. Yeah, 29 99 We'll see how this all kind of rectifies with the PS5's controller, DualShock 5, presumably it will be called. But again, January 23rd, if you're interested in that, if you are a pro style. By the way, the PR that they wrote up in this is so funny because it's like it's just, they just hit all of the points because it's to gamers of all skill levels who enjoy playing competitively. This new attachment elevates your gameplay by delivering more versatility and performance while maintaining the comfort and feel of the DualShock 4 wireless controller you've come to love. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> Number two, we were talking about CD Projekt before. Let's talk about this. It appears CD Projekt, the famous Polish developer behind the Witcher series of video games, as well as the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077, has apparently settled its long-running dispute with the creator of and author of the Witcher book series, which is by Andrzej Sapkowski, Seb- I think that's how you say it, from which his, from which the games are based. In a PR announcement on its website, CD Projekt notes in part that the company, quote, would like to inform that today both parties sign an agreement further solidifying their relationship, Ellipsis. The agreement satisfies and fully clarifies the needs and expectations of both parties, past and present, and sets out a framework for the future cooperation between the two sides. The agreement grants CD Projekt new rights as well as confirms the company's title to The Witcher intellectual property in video games, graphic novels, board games, and merchandise, end quote. This comes as a bit of a surprise considering the two sides were in a legal battle not even a year ago. The basis for the earlier lawsuit was framed around a unique perk of Polish law in which the seller of something, say a store or an IP, can actually claim further monies if the deal made the other side an obscene profit compared to what was originally paid. The side since settled out of court for an undisclosed sum, and now this deal seems to strike the opposite posture. The game dev and author are united once more. So this was something we discussed about a year ago. Not yeah. even. It seems like their mon- monies have been settled. Basically, Sapkowski, for people that aren't aware of this, the writer of The Witcher series, sold the gaming rights to CD Projekt for a very low sum, apparently. And he was offered either points on the games or a lump sum. And he took the lump sum. And that lump sum ended up being a massive mistake because yeah. The Witcher 3 ended up being such a huge uh, success. And there is a that perk in Polish law that lets people... Come back to a situation in which they already sold something for more money. If the deal was considered unfair, pretty interesting. Yeah, so super weird. Not that's something cool, that's an American law. That's cool though. That's
2: cool that he's uh, that they that they managed to uh, settle it. I wonder what the
1: what the the driving force was behind that settlement. I don't know. I my assumption is is it seemed like that Sapkowski guy was making a little bit of a stink, particularly in Eastern European, like Polish circles and in Polish press. And it made CD Projekt look bad because I don't know that they necessarily in, it took advantage of them, but the situation is certainly adv- advantageous to them. Because remember, there were two other obviously Witcher 3 is the third game, but there were two other Witcher games and he never complained about that because those games weren't very big. If people yeah. recall, Witcher 1 and 2 were not even released on PS3. They were only released on Xbox 360 and PC. So he didn't really care. And these games were kind of niche. But when Witcher 3 came out and it became this big thing. I think he got upset and I don't know. I I kind of I'm a little confused by that, that the perk in the law because or that caveat, because that's part of doing business is like saying like, well, this is what we think it's worth. We'll pay you now or you can take a deal or hold or whatever. And this kind of lets you out of it a little bit. So he's lucky he's Polish and not say American because he would have been shit out of luck (laughs) in that particular situation. Number three. PlayStation Now is getting a couple of first-party games of consequence in January, as well as some other new notable entries, according to the official PlayStation blog. On January 2nd, Guerrilla Games' Horizon Zero Dawn and Naughty Dog's Uncharted The Lost Legacy, which I've still not played, are both coming to the service. Popular third-party multiplayer game Overcooked 2 is also coming. The blog post additionally notes that big games like Persona 5 and Middle Earth Shadow of War will be removed from the service on February 3rd, early next year, while PUBG, Wolfenstein the Old Blood, and Formula One 2019 will be removed from the service on March 2nd. Sony is angling PlayStation Now as its competitor to Xbox Game Pass and xCloud, as well as Google Stadia, and it costs $9.99 a month or $59.99 for the whole year, with more than 800 games available to stream and or download, depending on the game in question. Uh, we'll start talk I've made a promise to the audience, Chris, that we're going to start talking about PlayStation now more. I think it's fair to do so. Yeah. So this is my opening salvo in that attempt. Yeah. To talk about I mean, we'll it. We'll see how that goes. I'd like to get it. Now is not the time, but I'm going to get it at some point for sure. And we will see how it goes. It seems like it's getting more competitive. I think I think they released numbers we talked about on the show where they almost doubled PS Now's user base to like 800,000 or something, something modest in a year. So they're well on their way, but there are 100 million PS4s in the wild. So we're talking about a 1% install base for PS Now right now. Number four, over in Japan, Capcom is going all out with new trademarks, indicating that the resurgent publisher slash developer might have some new games or re-releases up its sleeve. Website Silicon Era reports some of what it deems the most notable, in quotes, games trademarked. They are in alphabetical order. Bionic Commando. Breath of Fire, Darkstalkers 3, Dino Crisis, Ghosts and Goblins, Mega Man, Mega Man Legends, Power Stone, Project Justice, which I don't know what that is, Rival Schools, and Strider. While what Capcom's intentions are with these trademarks is unknown, it's worth noting, according to the website, that these could simply be precautionary trademarks to further secure the IP for future use. Interestingly, the news comes on the heels of a Japanese trademark filing by publisher Square Enix for Nier, which suggests a re-release of the original PS3 hack and slash game no one cared about from 2010. And that may be forthcoming as well. Now, let's go through some of these Capcom games, Chris. Bionic Commando, I'd be happy to see that come back. It did come back a little bit in the PS3 era. Yeah. But they could do more with Bionic Commando, I think. Uh, Let's see. Breath of Fire. They released Breath of... So Breath of Fire is a role-playing game series going back to Super Famicom and SNES. The first two were on SNES. Breath of Fire 3 was on PS1. Breath of Fire 4 was on PS2. And then I think the fifth one was actually a mobile game, which upset a lot of people. But uh, Breath of Fire could come back. That would be nice. Darkstalkers 3, of course, is a niche fighting game. My brother's really into Darkstalkers. Dino Crisis, we just talked about last week. Yeah, a lot of people would like to see that come back. Looks like it might. Ghosts and Goblins, of course, is the impossibly difficult side scroller from the 80s. Mega Man as we all know what that is because I talk about it every week. Mega Man Legends is the late 90s 3D spinoff. Power Stone, the excellent Dreamcast era fighting game. I'd love to see that come back. Loved Power Stone. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Rival schools? Are you familiar with Rival Schools at all? No. It, Rival Schools was a PS1 era fighting game of kids that like that would fight in like the, like you know outside of school like and, <laughs> and you know they and it was really cool. Like I remember the the art is really cool. Like a guy is like a, an aluminum baseball bat and he's wearing like a Letterman jacket and stuff like that. Really cool fledgling fighting game. I don't know why it never came back. That would be neat to see it live again. And then of course Strider. There was a new Strider game in 2014. Yeah, it was a remake, that, right? It was like a Metroidvania kind of like reimagining. Let's Yeah, say, yeah. No, I love, I love Strider. Yeah, me too. Excellent stuff. So Capcom lives again. Let's see what happens in the future. Speaking of Capcom, number five. Some interesting tidbits have been revealed about the upcoming Resident Evil 3 remake from Capcom, which is due out on PlayStation 4 on April 3rd, 2020. Not too far from now. First, from website Silicon Era comes some summary translations of an RE3-centric interview given recently to Japanese gaming publication Famitsu. The most interesting piece of information is the new t- is the team's, I'm sorry, intention to quote rearrange end quote RE3 in a greater way than they did Resident Evil 2 remake, indicating that it may not be as true to form in one way or another. That's a little disappointing, but we'll see what that that means. That said, the game is 90% finished and will employ the same gameplay additions and stylings, particularly third-person shooter action as opposed to tank controls as RE2 Remake. Meanwhile, website Video Game Chronicle has discovered the nature of the new Japanese studio helping create RE3 Remake. The developer, in part, is called M2 Inc., and which is M-TWO Inc., And their logo is actually seen at the end of the recently released RE3 trailer. The website reports that the studio was founded and is led by Tetsuya Minami, longtime Capcom designer and producer working on games ranging from Street Fighter 2 to Mega Man to Devil May Cry and, you guessed it, Resident Evil. Minami, of course, was an early player in Platinum Games and was the developer's CEO from 2009 until 2016. Video Game Chronicles notes that M2 was founded with Capcom seed money, though it remains an independent entity, suggesting a second-party relationship between developer and publisher. Finally, a Reddit user named Daimoschan posted the the text of an email he received from the vaunted Resident Evil ambassador program, which gives players early access to news and information, alpha and beta access and more. The email talks about new updates coming to the ambassador program before casually stating the following, quote, also as limited offers to ambassadors, we have invitations to playtest sessions for an unannounced title, end quote. Before moving on to other information, it's unclear what this game is as Resident Evil 3 and Project Resistance are both revealed and are indeed one in the same. Could it be Resident Evil 8? Chris, what do you think about that's, all of that? That's a lot. It's very much. That's a lot a of information lot. there.
2: If uh, I'm pretty curious about that, I hope it's not Resident Evil 8. It seems a bit, you know, the, the Resident Evil 3 is not even out yet. So to, to be publicly placed at playtesting Resident Evil 8 kind of kind of worries me a little bit. Kind of makes you feel like they might rush Resident Evil 8 out a little bit too soon. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily that it'll be like rushed to finish, but like that it'll be like it'll come out too soon after RE3, which I hope is is not the case.
1: Me too. You got to give it a little bit of space. Yeah. Manage that portfolio a little bit. Oh, no, I agree with you. It is a little strange. We don't know what the new game is, but because it's in the Resident M- uh, Evil Ambassador program, it's got to be Resident Evil related. It could be another spinoff. As well, but I, I think they got to be real careful, like you're saying, and really, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. We don't not we don't you don't want to ruin a good thing here. You got a good thing going with Resident Evil right now. Don't flood the zone. Don't do it. Interesting thing though about this other thing about the studio M2 Inc, which was created by uh, in part uh, Minami, who is the CEO of Platinum Games. Apparently, Video Game Chronicle reports that the name of the studio is M2. Because Minami was originally going to found the studio with Mikami, who was the who works at uh, who used to work at Platinum Games and then wor- went and made Tango Gameworks, which then sold to Bethesda and they make the Evil Within. But he's one of the creative forces behind the original original Resident Evil. So we almost got them apparently reunited, which would have been absolutely insane if they were making Resident Evil 3 together. But that is not the case. And we will look forward to Resident Evil 3 remake on April 3rd, 2020. 2020. Sounds so fake. It does. It sounds like Barbara Walters. Remember Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs? (laughs) Who could forget? Yeah, it's so memorable. Who could forget Hugh Downs? Number six, the famous Nintendo PlayStation prototype will be auctioned off to the highest bidder in February of 2020, according to website Kotaku. As the famous story goes, Sony and Nintendo were once keen on working with one another. In 1991, Sony delivered a Super Famicom disc add-on called PlayStation to Nintendo, but the two sides had myriad issues behind the scenes and the device was canceled before ever being manufactured, nonetheless launched. According to Kotaku, the only known prototype of the device currently in private hands will be auctioned by Heritage Auctions, and it's suspected to command an enormous price, considering the skyrocketing price of older games, which aren't one of a kind items. I didn't see any predictions, but I'm I'm predicting this is going to go for six figures and we'll see what ends up happening. But we should keep a close eye on that. Very interesting piece of PlayStation history there.
2: That thing should be in a a fucking museum.
1: (laughs) I agree. I (laughs) totally agree. And it could still end up in a museum once it's in someone's collection. So, yeah. We'll see. But I absolutely agree with you. It's that thing shouldn't be fucked around with, played with or anything like that, because it's such an important piece of news and or uh, history rather. And without that falling out between Nintendo and Sony during the Super Famicom era, PS1 would have never been released and we would be not doing this podcast right now. Maybe I'd be dead. Yeah, who who knows knows? what would have happened? Who knows what would have happened? Number seven on the heels of revealing the Wolf Among Us 2 at the Game Awards, the reformed Telltale Games seems to be ready to revisit its Batman games, too. An optional aesthetic adjustment for the games called Shadows Mode was already revealed for both seasons one and two of Telltale's Batman's multi-episode series, but now we know it'll be coming to PlayStation 4 in the form of Telltale Batman Shadows Edition, which according to website Silicon Era, has already randomly appeared on both PC and Xbox One, and which will be coming to PS4 at an unknown point in the near future. Shadows Edition combined both seasons of the game for the first time and folds Shadows Mode right into the same package. It'll cost $29.99 or your local equivalent. The original Telltale Batman game, appropriately called Batman the Telltale series, came to both PS3 and PS4 in 2016, and in true Telltale style, it was launched across five episodes in four months. The second season was called Batman the Enemy Within, and it eschewed Last Generation, launching on PS4 in five episodes over an eight-month period spanning from the second half of 2017 into early 2018. What the hell is Shadows Mode? Apparently, the shadows mode allows you to apparently it was free. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a a small price, but apparently it just lets you change the aesthetic into this black and white noir thing, I think is what it does. Uh, Weird. And so they've released that new edition, plus these two seasons put together. I've never played the second season, so this isn't interesting to me. But twenty nine ninety nine seems like a good price. Yeah. If you're interested in playing those games, as Telltale comes back from the ashes We'll, we'll watch that with great interest.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's not the same Telltale, though. So, like, I mean...
1: No, it's not. It's, uh, it seems like a shell company of some sort. Yeah. Not Whoa. in a bad way, I guess. I guess I shouldn't use that term. It yeah, seems like an umbrella of some <laughs> sort.
2: It's a pretty negative connotation with that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It seems like a company that contra- has the name and is contracting developers to make their stuff. For instance, Ad Hoc Studios is making The Wolf Among Us 2. Which is still people from Telltale, but not the real thing. Yeah, totally. You're totally right on that. Chris, number eight. If you're a Horizon Zero Dawn fan and a comic book nerd, then we have good news for you. Horizon is getting its own comic book series from Titan Comics. Titan describes the introductory issue number zero as the reader's chance to, quote, discover a far future Earth full of epic natural beauty where awe-inspiring machines are the dominant species. Talina, Sunhawk of the Hunter's Lodge, struggles to find purpose after Aloy, her trusted friend, disappears. When a mysterious new threat emerges in the wilds, she returns to her roots as a hunter to defeat it, only to learn that a whole new breed of mechanized killers stalks the land, end quote. The comic series was co-created by Anne Toole, who wrote for the original game. She also recently did writing for Sony Bend on Days Gone. It's unclear when the comic series will launch. Reading that, Chris, it sounds like this could actually be the story of the second game. And I'm wondering if this is... Actually, what that is, is some sort of prologue to Horizon 2.
2: It could be. I could see that happening. A lot of studios have done that where they have like prologues and comics. I don't really like that. Personally, I like I like video game comics in the sense that like I like anything that will flesh out a universe that's in an extended medium that isn't like that isn't video games. But whenever something directly ties into the main continuity of something in a way that would make you feel like you missed out on it, if you didn't. Read it. I don't know, man. I don't I don't like that. That that worries me.
1: Yeah, I'm not crazy about it. I don't know if it's going to be like the prologue. Well, we, it's all speculation, but if it's going to be like a prologue story, or if they're simply introducing some characters, I don't remember this Talon, character. She might have actually been in the original game. I haven't played the original game in almost three years now. So uh, but it would be interesting if Aloy wasn't the protagonist or you had to go look for her or something like that. Or is it like kind of like a Metal Gear Solid 2 thing where yeah. you play as her like half the time? We'll see what happens. That could be cool. We're definitely going to get a sequel. But when remains the question. Finally, Chris, a wrap up. Number nine, website Silicon Era. We've been citing them a lot today. Reports the peculiar news that an obscure Vita RPG, Shiren the Wanderer, the Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate, is losing its online support at the end of 2019. as quietly announced by the game's publisher, Axis. Website Komatsu reports that Japanese weeb shooter, Azor Lane, Crosswave is coming to Western (laughs) PS4s in February of 2020. (laughs) I'm making that weeb shooter. Yeah, I'm going to make that new genre up. And the cooperative cartoonish slasher Conan Chop Chop will be coming to PS4 on February 25th, early next year. And finally, Gamatsu also reports that Dragon Quest XI, the newest entry in the core Dragon Quest franchise, launched in 2018, has officially surpassed 5.5 million units sold. So congratulations to Square Enix on that front. Chris, it's time to get into the new game releases. Except for there are none. Oh no! This uh, there at least isn't a drop. Let me. I'm gonna go. Let me go right now. I'm gonna do it live. Find out if there's a drop. Just or not. like Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> I love that video. Still nothing. So there is no... There might be games coming out this week, but they've not written about them. Uh, But, Chris, there is a massive... I don't think that there's... I've never seen a sale like this before on PSN. Maybe I'm wrong. But 1,500 games are for sale right now on PSN. Up to 50% 50 off. So up to half off. 1,500 games from now until January 5th. And then Sony's going to refresh the sale with presumably a similar number of games from January 5th to January 16th. So... I was actually looking around the store to see things to buy, like everything I was looking almost everything I was looking at was on sale, just coincidentally. So that's kind of that's insane. Now is the time, guys, if you're looking for I I don't know if the sales are going to get steeper or what's going to happen. But if you're looking to save some money and pinch some pennies, now is the time on PSN 1500 games for sale, up to 50 percent off from now until January 5th and then a refresher that slate until January 16th. So get on it, you lazy fucks, (laughs) spend your money. Spend your monies. All right, Chris, as tradition dictates, we will wrap up with reader mail. I actually or we, we call reader mail is really listener mail from patreon.com slash Collins last stand. I actually put 10 instead of six as tradition typically dictates. We already read one of them because that was about the Witcher television series. So we'll just get into these nine as we wrap up one of these last episodes of 2019. All righty. Adam O wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, last week this wasn't brought up, so I figured it would be a fun topic. Sony users once again lead console players in porn views. And now he's talking about Pornhub statistics. Yeah, (laughs) even the Vita gets a shout out. My question is a simple one besides gaming. Have you gents ever used your consoles for anything funny or weird? Thanks and have an amazing rest of the decade now. Chris, apparently, well, not apparently Pornhub released these statistics where I think like almost half of video game console Pornhub uses on PS4 and then 10% is on Vita, Yeah, which is pretty amazing, which is pretty funny. So uh shout out to that uh through Adam O, but have you used any of your consoles or handhelds for weird or personal reasons like that? No.
2: No, I never I think I I tried to look at porn on my PSP just out of curiosity to see if I could. And then I realized that I could, and I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." But then I just went back to playing Wipeout Pure or whatever the hell. Sure. Which is what like it's nothing for. loaded properly on that thing anyway. But uh, yeah,
1: you're, yeah, you're going to have problems. Yeah. So sure. like,
2: no, I've I, I don't think I've ever really used a video game console for anything other than just what it what it is. Like, I, I guess I listened to music with my 360. I would like plug my iPod into it. But that that was a
1: feature. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, I have I'm not opposed to people using, you know, your browser to look at porn. It just seems like a little difficult. If you have a phone or a tablet, computer or, a keyboard, or laptop. Yeah. See, like everyone looks at porn. So that's not a, I'm not judging that. But that was a little strange. I mean, my my I don't use my iPad, too, anymore. I mean, it's ancient, but that was like my porn device for a long time. And now my phone is I don't look at porn on my computers because I don't want that search stuff in my like mucking up my search history and all that. Not that I'm embarrassed, but I'm just I like having a very catered and curated. Yeah, situation yeah. going on on my laptop. So that's why I don't look at porn on my laptop. But, you know. I have been I have been flow with the porn anyway. Yeah. But congratulations to all you PlayStation Vita owners that are getting off looking at your Vita. Very (laughs) proud of you. It's probably the only use it's having, honestly. I know until Sacred Symbols or uh, Twin Breaker comes out of Sacred Symbols Adventure. And then, of course, you will all buy it. Todd Hunt wrote in and said, hey, boys, on the last Sacred Symbols episode, Colin mentioned that we will just have to wait to see what will define the next generation, which made me think, how do we define this generation? I am at a loss, so would love you to hear you both and your opinions. Thanks, boys. Chris, what would you, you... Well, I don't even want to say a word, but is there a term or like some sort of qualifier that you would use to describe this generation, what this generation is, or what this generation meant? This... Hmm.
2: Like a single phrase.
1: Yeah, like I think with N64 and PS1, I think about like, that's the polygonal era. Yeah. For me, you know? PS2 is like the DVD era and and stuff like that. So I I, I wonder if PS4 and Xbox One have something that encapsulates them. I don't know what it might be though.
2: I feel like maybe hmm this might be the I have to think about this. This is either like a sh- the shared world generation mm. or uh something a little bit more related to maybe the games as a service generation. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Just with just with like there's a lot of games as a service and also just like there's a lot of services now like Game Pass and PS Now that really kind of swept, swept through this last generation.
1: I think I would. Yeah, I, I would define it by services. I like that answer a lot. I, mine's similar in the sense that I feel like this is the ubiquitous generation that for the first time. Now, I use my PS3 like this. I think a lot of people did in their Xbox 360s, but my console's always on and always being used. Yeah. This generation. And. It's for minority gaming, right? It's like it's majority streaming and other uses. And so I think that I would describe this as like a ubiquitous generation where we where we looked at the console finally as the center, the true center of the entertainment system. Yeah. And uh, that's new. I mean, PS3 did that kind of. It also didn't do that the entire time it was alive. We didn't get PS3 streaming on for Netflix, for instance, until 2010. So. And we talked about in the past how Netflix streaming was exclusive to Xbox 360, as people might recall. So on PS3, the only way you could stream was to get a disc and put it into the PS3, which I'll never forget. That was so funny. That was the way they circumvented the the, uh, exclusivity they signed with Microsoft (laughs) by making you run it off of a disc on PS3. But yeah, the ubiquitous era of constantly connect, constantly being connected, consoles always on, consoles always being used. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with that.
2: Yeah, I think I think I already know what next gen is probably going to be defined by. What's that? I think that's going to be a borderless generation. I think that's going to be the point where, like, cross-play really, like, is ubiquitous and cross-save is ubiquitous and input methods are a lot more, a lot less strict. I think you're going to see mouse and keyboard support on every console that isn't Nintendo,
1: probably. I would love that. Which is so weird because I I just didn't even give a shit about that until, like, two years ago, and then I started playing some of these games that just command them. Yeah. And, not command, but demand them. Commanding is... That the console could command anything, but yeah, you're right. And uh, we got to be careful because the borderless thing, it's probably true. This might really trigger Trump, though. And the wall just got 10 feet higher now <laughs> uh, because he said that he built he
2: builds a wall between PlayStation and Xbox. Literally, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Joshua Shane wrote into us. Chris, he says, hey, CNC podcast factory. Just wanted to point out that a reason for early Bioshock announcement could be a way of recruiting devs. Getting to work on a project like that, I'm sure, is a big draw. Either way, I was hoping you discuss some of your favorite and most detestable gaming and non-gaming moments of 2019. Uh, unless, of course, you're saving this for an episode in the next few weeks. So we already did do that, Joshua. I wanted to just say to everyone, that's the last episode of PlayStation Plus. So you guys or I'm sorry, Sacred Symbols Plus. So go uh, check that out on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. But I did want to talk about his, his, his idea that the Bioshock announcement could be to recruit devs. This is possible... Uh, Famously, Gearbox did this with Borderlands three when they announced it at a show and they were talking about they were actively trying to hire people to come work on the game. So that happens. But I don't think so. Not this time. People that go and apply at different devs and studios are often recruited. They're often under uh, NDA and they often know what the studio is working on. So people that went and worked went and applied at this new studio that's working on Bioshock knew they were working on Bioshock when they were being interviewed. So yeah. it's not like uh, it's, it wouldn't be like a big surprise to them. And I think that they're they're probably going to recruit and hire more people. But I think the team is probably solidified. So it's a nice idea, Joshua. And it does happen. But I do not think that that's the case. Yeah. with This Bioshock situation. Although I can't believe we're talking about bio like a new Bioshock. Like it's really happening. Yeah. Very ex- it's kind of wild. Times. A bit late, I think. I'm sorry. What would you say, Chris? No, nah, it's kind of wild, but it's a bit late, I think. But
2: I mean, I, I guess a Bioshock game, if anything, would demand time you know you don't want to rush a bioshock game
1: no and you got to get it without ken levine involved and without irrational or what used to be irrational involved you really got to get it right and i really hope it takes place in space that's where i want it to take place not cool. like mass effect or whatever but in that, like a space station or a space city do you think they'd something be
2: like th- do you think they'd be like uh that's what everybody's expecting
1: probably i just hope they don't do something first of all i don't want rapture anymore i love rapture i don't want columbia i love columbia you know, so we have the underwater city. We have the floating city. It really doesn't leave you that many options unless it's a totally different kind of game. But Bioshock's ca- main character is this is the setting. You can, so it's really imp- yeah. it's really important that they get it right. People are too
2: caught up in the environment, though, in the sense that like they're locked into how we normally perceive environments. I feel like there's a lot of things that they could do with like, I don't know, like a Dyson sphere.
1: Oh, that something, would
2: be fun. Or something super crazy where like the sky is the ground. Or something like just some weird shit. Oh, I love that. They could do some cool shit that isn't just like, you know, pick a underwater, underground on land or in space.
1: Yeah, that's true. A Dyson sphere would be very futuristic. So that would be that would be pretty neat. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll find out more this coming year. All right, Chris, we have a few more to get through here from the audience, from our beloved audience. Jude Brandon wrote in to us. He said, ACNC, this might be a dumb question but why isn't every classic game available on current consoles? Some companies like Konami and Capcom choose to re-release their old offerings as collections, and some like Sega and SNK just have them for sale individually. But why can't we get Final Fantasy 4 or 6? What about Mortal Kombat 1 or 2? It's just strange to me that these companies don't just dump the ROMs and charge like five bucks for them. I'm sure it's not that simple, but it seems like an easy way to make at least some money without having to remaster or repackage a game. As always, thanks for any insight you can offer. Um, this... I think, Jude, you got to think about this and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about this, Chris. But I think you have to think about this strategically. I was of this mind at one time, especially with virtual console on Wii. Virtual console on Wii was getting really frustrating, as people might recall, because they just insisted on releasing like two games at a time just for years. It was just like the slow burn of like, ah, and like every once in a while they'd actually put something up. Anyone wanted to play and you often wonder, like, why don't these companies just go and re-release their stuff? But I think you actually answered your question, Jude, which is, like, they put things in collections. You asked about Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. I'm pretty sure that there is a Mortal Kombat collection on PS3 and maybe PS4, called the Mortal Kombat collection with a K, obviously. And Final Fantasy 4 has been re-released both in ROM form as long as as well as 6, and then re-released and remastered uh, and remade, really, on DS and then on PSP and all that kind of stuff. So, I think these various games come out at different times because they want to manage their catalogs in such a way that they don't just flood the store and then you just kind of assume that everything's there and then you kind of don't sell things over the long term. It's a bigger deal if Konami packages all their Castlevania games together and charges a premium for them than to re-release them individually where they might not get as noticed. I think that that's why it happens. Plus, a lot of these games have to be QA'd again. Some of them are broken. Some of them don't exist anymore. Famously, with Mega Man 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 on Game Boy, what's called Mega Man World in Japan, those were supposed to come out in a collection, and Capcom d- couldn't find and still doesn't know where the original versions of the games are. So they have to like either rip them from ROMs and all that kind of stuff, which is not what they want to do. They have to go through ESRB ratings and maybe renew trademarks. So it's not as easy as you think, like you said, and it's also not cheap. In fact, a company could theoretically release Game X for $5 and lose money on it because... Out of that five dollars, they're only going to get three fifty first of all per game, and then they have to pay taxes and all that. But then the the cost of bit doing business and all that. So you have to think about things a little more in tune like that, like a businessman might. Yeah. Instance.
2: Yeah. No, I think uh, I think also just the fact that when it's a collection, you can market it with a lot more fanfare than you can if it's just like, you know, here's a a re release of a ROM that's going to get lost on the PlayStation Store in in the midst of all these other random games that are coming out every goddamn day. A collection allows you to kind of like build hype, weirdly enough. You could be like, hey, there's a Mega Man collection. It's like, wow, that's way cooler than if they just like put out all the Mega Man games like in some random hodgepodge
1: mess. Like on the PS on the PlayStation store. Right. And and you can't put the genie back in the bottle either. And so you can charge more for it also. Right. Exactly. And once Mega Man, like the Mega Man legacy collections are out and the Mega Man X legacy collections are out. So those games are all out now. The genie can't be put back in the bottle. So it was better that they did it that way than opposed to like an a la carte fashion like they did on WiiWare or on virtual console. Where, by the way, if you bought those games on virtual console, they're just gone. I mean, unless you have them downloaded to your Wii, they're just they're they're gone. You can't access them again. I think I bought Mega Man two and three like seven times or something like that. So. You know, on my 3DS and on my Wii and Wii U and whatever, wherever we bought it. So anyway, hope that answers it, Jude. Kind of a multifaceted question. Melvin Jones wrote into us and said, what's up, CNC? Does MLB, and I like this one a lot. This is something I didn't think about. So I wanted to include this from Melvin. Does MLB the show going multi platform next general mean that Sony San Diego has an Xbox Series X dev kit? What I'm getting at is will Sony have a sneak peek at the competition even if it's too late to change their own specs? I hope you two have a safe and fun Christmas and New Year. This is a great question, Melvin. And and I had not thought about this at all, to be honest with you, Chris.
2: Yeah, I mean I guess so. But I also think it's worth noting that it's probably not all that unlikely that dev kits don't <laughs> like I I'm sure, you know, Xbox dev kits. And PlayStation dev kits ends, end up in the hands of their competitors, like that. Definitely, that, that, that's. In fact, I would wager to say it's obvious that that happens all the time.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, it probably is too late. There, there is one caveat here, Chris, that I think is interesting. If we think back about the deal that the MLB, Major League Baseball, and Sony San Diego signed to bring the show multi-platform, it doesn't start in 2020. It starts in 2021, and I wonder if that has anything to do with avoiding giving Sony San Diego dev kits until they absolutely need them. In other words, Sony San Diego is obviously going to have access to Xbox Series X dev kits, but I bet you they don't yet because there's no need for them to have it yet. The next game won't even be on anything but PS4. It's MLB The Show 2021 that will be on Xbox One or Xbox Series X. Yeah. So it could that could be some sort of finagling. Maybe it's a little conspiratorial. For Sony, for Microsoft to be like, we want to play ball here. No pun intended. But we don't want our arch rivals having access to our dev kits. But the other side of it is that Mojang, which is owned by Microsoft, certainly has PlayStation five dev kits to bring Minecraft over. Yeah. So that that goes both ways. But it's an interesting thought. And I hadn't actually considered that.
2: Yeah, for sure. It is super weird.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. We have three more, Chris, to get through on our short Christmas episode episode. Raymond Schaefer wrote in and said, hey, the pride of Long Island, Colin and pregnant pause, Chris. Huh. <laughs> well, you did start the a couple episodes ago with a pregnant pause. You were a little upset about the noise. That is true. The, uh, the roaches. roaches, the roaches making progressing in their civilization like environment in the walls, discovering Science, technology. Yeah, God God help me. He says, "Longtime fan, Colin, since beyond. Oh, thank you, Raymond. So in the beginning of this generation, we saw a major increase in free to play games, mainly shooters. Do you think we'll get more of these with PS5 or not because of the backwards compatibility of the consoles? Chris, you and I had started to broach this topic a week or two ago with all of the free to play games and the competition and the kind of the race to the bottom that's happening. I kind of wonder how you envision it happening on PS5 because... I really feel like even though the borders are open and it's easier to get games on a console than ever, we're putting a game on PS4, so it's not that hard. I mean, we're not very smart. I'm certainly not very smart. So I, I you know, if I can figure it out, you guys can figure it out. And I feel like even with the borderless kind of fenceless environment that PS5 is going to exist in, less is more. And I feel like these games are all cannibalizing each other. So I don't know that we're going to see the same sort of increase in free-to-play games if anything i think we'll see some sort of plateau with ps5 because it's just not financially tenable yeah i just don't understand how you can have 25 of these games existing side by side that all require persistence in order to make money
2: yeah i think we're probably going to see a free-to-play model that that's more compartmentalized like i could see a future where maybe because because microsoft is like starting to be a little bit more multi-platform they might put the Master Chief Collection on PS4, but not the multiplayer. They'll probably put like, oh. oh, here here's the campaigns for this, and that's free to play. But if you wanna like, you know, if you wanna play the multiplayer, the real meat of that game, you gotta go on PC or you gotta go on Xbox or whatever the hell. I could see that being more of a strategy than just straight up, hey, let's put a game out for free and just hope that it takes some attention away from Fortnite. I feel like the, I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm I'm kinda with you where I, I just think those games are really cannibalizing
1: the space. It's not survivable, no. right? Like it's just not it's it's very much like we saw students of the industry will remember it's that it wasn't that long ago. The race to the bottom on on mobile was incredibly destructive to lots of game studios. Lots of game studios that pivoted into that space thinking that that was where it was they were supposed to be. Lots of people undercutting each other. I very vividly, Chris, I got to find this article, it'll probably be impossible to find, but I remember being on the train going to IGN one morning when I was working there, it was probably five or six years ago now, and reading an article on my phone about, it was basically like this guy who who says like, I just make these bullshit games that copy other games, basically. Here's what you do. Get them on the store. They get taken down inevitably, but you still keep your money. And I've made millions of dollars doing this over the last so-and-so amount of time. And I was like, that's the exact, I mean, that's capitalism, I guess, but that's the exact model that causes such destruction to close environments, which is what the PlayStation Network really should be. The PlayStation Network should be something that has some sort of objective level of quality in regards to what's going on there. And my biggest curiosity is like, what is and this would be a different answer, by the way, for every game in question in the studio. But like, can a free to play game do well if 50,000 people play it? Can a free to play game do well if 10,000 people play it? You know, like, yeah, do we have to measure success based solely on having millions of players. And unfortunately, the answer right now is yes. But I don't think it has to be that way. I think games need to be made leaner. And if they can be made in a leaner fashion with lower expectations, then perhaps more games can succeed. And you could have games like Radical Heights or whatever, or Lawbreakers yeah. kind of break out because they don't need more than a few tens of thousands of people to really support them. But that's not the situation we find ourselves in right now. Yeah. Thank you, Raymond, for your question. Zachary Douglas wrote in and said, hey, CNC Podcast Factory. My question for you guys is about Metal Gear Solid. Chris has said that four was a bane to him. What was it about it that made that made that the case for you, Chris? Colin, you didn't like three. Your brother loves that one. It's my favorite, too, and wanted to see what was holding you back on that one. Keep up the great work. So, Chris, we did talk about this in passing several times, but yeah, what what is it about Metal Gear Solid 4, specifically PS3's Metal Gear Solid 4 that you do not like?
2: Metal Gear Solid 4, it frustrates the hell out of me because it's just more of a movie than it is a game. Like, I feel like I never really get to play the damn thing. And it's also just... It feels like it's just rushing to a conclusion a lot of the times where it's like, hey, how is this possible? Nano, machines. Oh, okay, cool. Nanomachines. Ah, nanomachines. I can't even... How many times is nanomachines in that fucking script? <laughs> like, it's probably there like two million times. And it's like I don't know, man. Like you're also just playing as geriatric, depressing old Snake. It's just yeah, I don't know. he's it, not he's not fun, Snake. No, it's 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 just it's a miserable experience for me. And it's also just really drab compared to like every other Metal Gear. It's a lot more gray, and I don't know. There's just something about Metal Gear Solid Five that's just like, or Metal Gear Solid Four that's an absolute chore for me to experience. And I just I really I really hate it. Like, I, I just can't.
1: I don't have too much experience with it. I played it around the time it came out, but I didn't play it very far. And and we've said it in the past, so I don't mean to be redundant with this, but I do like how Konami just randomly patched it with trophies. Like, I think it was seven or eight years after it came out, which is really fucking funny. And it's so weird because Konami is like the last company you'd expect to do that because it has to go through QA and it costs money to do that kind of stuff. So it kind of makes me want to go back and really try it again. But three, Zachary asked me why I don't like three. I just didn't dig three that much. Three felt I mean, I haven't played it in many, many years. It's probably been like almost 15 years since I played three. Maybe not quite that long. It hasn't even been that long since it's been out, but around there. And what I remember thinking is that it just had too much for me at the time. Maybe I would like it more now, but it had too much micro like micromanagement. Like, here's your camo, your food's getting eaten. Because you didn't, you know, your rations are getting eaten randomly by bugs or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck is going on in this game? Like that was (laughs) there is such a thing when a game goes too far and it doesn't become fun anymore. And that was what I remembered about MGS three playing. It was I was like, I'm not I'm not enjoying this. I do remember enjoying the enemies and I like how the enemies it's like the pain and like the some whatever it is. I like that. The end. I I thought that was really neat. And I'd like to go back to it. It's on Vita, so maybe I'll play it at some point. But th- I hope that answers your questions. Don't don't play it on Vita. It's really it's well, really I, bad on Vita. Oh, is it? Does it doesn't run well? The, it's just the controls are like really
2: really screwed. Oh, on Vita because of the lack of uh, what do you call it? the lack of
1: uh, R two. Oh yeah, you got to use the back touchpad or whatever. Yeah, that's fun. Always love doing that. Yeah. They really could have just put two buttons on Vita and solved a lot of problems. They could have fit another button on there.
2: Oh yeah, they easily could have. That would have been actually really cool. Don't know why they didn't
1: No. All right, Chris. Finally, Pedro Alves wrote into us and said, Colin, will you let people go for the first plat on Twin Breaker or will you get it yourself? I myself am looking to purchase it day one and try try to at least be on the first 50. Loved the trailer by Chris and hoping for your success as well as more games under the sacred symbol banner. Well, thank you so much, Pedro. Uh, Of course, I'm going to be the first to get the the platinum (laughs) trophies on Twin Breaker. First of all, I'm writing the trophy list right now. I have I'm looking at it, actually. As we are, t- it's in my one of my notebooks here. Here it is. Do they have? Uh, are there fun names? They do have fun names, but I don't want to. I'm not going to share them yet. I don't want to share them. I don't want to. I don't want to. No spoilers. Ruin the surprise. You know, that's yeah. the best part. That's the only reason I even wanted to make a game.
0: <laughs> to make, to make a trophy trophy list. list. <laughs> all
1: right, Chris. That's all we have for this uh, somewhat abbreviated episode of Sacred Symbols. It's just it's the holiday season. There's not a lot of news. There are no new games. Yeah, but but we didn't want to miss a week. Uh, so. We hope you enjoyed it. And remember, next week's episode of Sacred Symbols is already recorded, but it'll go live at the normal time. It's the Game of the Year episode where we talk about our three favorite games of the year each. We give some random awards out. We hear what you guys liked from 2019. A lot of fun. And then PlayStation, uh, I'm sorry, Sacred Symbols Plus, really got to get that straight. Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our supplemental podcast each week, available only to patrons at patron, Patreon.com slash Last Stand is all about 2020 predictions. So you guys can look forward to that as well. Everything's recorded, Chris. We are done for the year. Well, look at that. Look at that. We are, we're done. The audience is not done. Plenty more for you, but we're done recording for the year. Yeah, it's nice. It's very <laughs> exciting. Uh, all right, Chris. So uh, wishing you and yours the very best holiday season. You too, man. Safe travels to New York when you go there. And uh, wishing everyone the very best as well. Happy New Year. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Etc. and so on. We appreciate your love and your kindness and your support on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand and on free feeds. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Be good. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at cls Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris Argun and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gun. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS PO Box, PO Box one two three three Santa Monica California nine zero four zero six. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Ruidon, Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Issa Al-Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Anton K., Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Elastiquas, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maronka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartlin Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Purdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymouth, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Matthew Tamer, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Homeworld Hub throw 7 McDog 18 Infinite Boots Madmock Media not your real dad Mubarak Craftheads podcast Richter 86 Hugo's desk of Fortuna Andrew Ian Chris Dav 9834 Gamer Filmaholic Megadet and Rainick Chris I'm just going to go to the bathroom real quick I'll be back in a second All right uh, just keep recording don't stop
2: Yeah sure Okay better christmas song than that i'm in hell i'm in hell it's a good christmas song felice where's my dad (laughs) he got cigarettes (laughs) oh my god he never came back filled his toyota with some fucking gas He's never coming home for Christmas. <laughs> uh, I'm a psychopath. Oh my goodness. It bothers me that I can't hum the melody for the original PlayStation startup sound. Like, it's an unhummable melody. Like, anybody, who, like, you can't replicate that sound. Really bothers me. What if your skin was, like, loosely on you and you can pull your arm bones and, like, shove them into your torso sleeves? You know what I mean? Like when people uh, pull their arms into the torso of their sweatshirts? How would that be? Hmm. These are questions. These are questions that few are able to answer. I certainly can't. You know? I'm just a 26-year-old boy. You know, what am I to do? How's the uh, how's the weather over there, huh? Pretty good? Pretty bad? It's winter, so it's probably likely that it's pretty bad wherever you are. Except in Australia, where it's actually, like, really hot in wintertime. I didn't know that. I guess it's not hot in winter. I guess their summer is just where our winter is. Except that place is, like, on fire right now. At least all those eldritch monstrosities that are in the center of Australia are getting burned. Like those spiders that kick people off their bicycles and pull guns on them?
1: Okay. You there?
0: Yeah. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well...